Hello and welcome to the Undercut Podcast. I'm one of your hosts, Timo Abbas Daily, and joining me to recount all the action from across the feeder series seasons is, of course, Jesse Billington. How are you? Not doing too bad. It's a pleasant evening. You and I have just spent a little while, about an hour, recanting the Formula One season from 2023. But I'm ready to enjoy something a bit more exciting, which is, of course, the feeder series seasons from the year gone. So uh, looking forward to something a bit more exciting in that regard. Yes, quite the contrast. But before we get into the feeder series themselves, though, in terms of looking back on 2023, we do have a few bits of post-season news to dive into. So we're going to get straight into it. And Jesse, there is news from the world of Super Formula. Yes, my fun little world of Super Formula, where Theo Porcher is going to be cropping up next season. Uh, obviously, winner of this year's Formula 2 championship. And... Addition to As, not make it into F1 immediately. Yes, um, it was it was that or standing next to the Alpha Tauri sort of pit wall wearing a Alfa Romeo, rather, Alfa Romeo, Romeo t-shirt and um, set of headphones. So he's opted not to do that and has instead found himself a seat in Super Formula where he'll be competing against Kamui Kobayashi. Yes, that Kamui Kobayashi. And Ayumu Iwasa. Um, so, of course, both the um, Iwasa and Porsche are moving from Formula 2. We've obviously got someone from this year's championship, uh, the championship winner moving to, uh, I think it was Rio Ritomo Miata moving from mm-hmm. Super Formula 2, Formula 2. Um, Iwasa will be running for Team Mugen with the Honda engine, the same as Lawson, which makes sense because of the Red Bull Honda link. And uh, Porsche will meanwhile be running a Toyota engine for the Itochu Enex team. Itochu came fifth last season while Mugen won. So uh, some interesting teams they're moving to, and it'll be interesting to see how well they perform. But of course, Super Formula is a very good season in its own right and is fast becoming this sort of fantastic, not necessarily bridging point, but sort of just season to entertain yourself in before a Formula One team eventually offers you something in F1. So, uh, yeah, it'd be good to see what Porsche is able to perform like there, especially against the very hot content and talent that it seems to provide. Yeah, it's a very good series, very competitive. And I think the only annoying thing is, is that it's another championship to watch and it's probably going to fall again into the same category that Indy Next fell into for me this year is that not that I didn't watch a core, it was just I would kind of more dip in and out. But now that there's a couple of drivers where you've got a bit of skin in the game in the same way that J.B. Chadwick's Indy next, so I care now what happens there. I'll probably be watching the highlights for the races, if nothing else. If I've got time to watch a full race, I'll happily do it. But considering the vast plethora of other motorsport that consumes us for the rest of the year, it's going to be tricky to fit it all in. But it's definitely going to be something I keep an eye on. And if I can enjoy it for five minutes in a highlight reel, then... That is what I will do, and that is how I enjoyed Indian X this year. And it was a very delightful five minutes every once in a while. So nothing bad again. Nothing bad against that. Worth also bearing in mind, of course, Super Formula in Japan, you've got the time zone difference to factor in. I think you want to yes. be getting up at like yes. 5 a.m. every weekend it's on to sort of battle. No, no offence to the drivers, then not even Kobayashi will get me up at that time in the morning. It's going to take a different driver altogether to get me into getting up at that time consistently just to watch a category that I wouldn't normally watch. Yes. Mind you, speaking of drivers moving to new classes or certainly moving around within classes, we'll take a look at Formula 2, where there's been the usual silly season of uh, feeder series there. Quite a bit of news there, yes, which there's not many seats left, actually. And this is kind of a, a mix of new news and reminder of old news, because as is the case, we record an episode and then a lot more news comes out immediately afterwards and then we're ending up having to just wait until we record another episode because otherwise we'll just be in a perpetual loop over and over. 
Um, but Invicta Virtuosi have signed Gabriel Bortoletto and Christian Miney for next year. So this year's Formula 3 champion is going to be partnered with one of the surprise talents from Formula 2 for this year. So that's going to be very interesting to see what happens there. Hadjar and Pepe Marti join campus. Rodan Carlin signs in Maloney and Miata, previously, as you were saying, from Super Formula. High Tech have signed Paul Aron and, I guess, for some reason, Cordial. Enzo Fittipaldi moves to VAR and Jack Crawford has moved to Dan's. And then this is also a reminder that Dennis Hauger and Frank Colapinto will race for MP Motorsport. Zach O'Sullivan will race for ART. Kimi Antonelli for Kramer. And a curious signing of Uruguayan driver Dirksen for PHM, which means that at the time of recording, we have seven seats left on the Formula 2 grid. And the important question is, who would you like to see? Ooh. I mean, no word on what... Considering as well that you can just plug people from obscurity, as we've seen with a couple of these choices. Yeah, Joshua Dirksen for one. Um, No word on what Fred Vesey's doing. I don't think he'll be coming back. I don't think he's coming back, though. No, it's unlikely he'll come back. And certainly not well who did he race for he raced for Prima didn't he Prima so it's unlikely and they're sorted up. there yeah well no they've got Antonelli and oh they've someone. got a seat open they've got yeah. seats to like Formula 3 ART have a seat open if you really wanted to go there Dams I don't think you'd bother going to Dams I don't think they're going to be quite good enough to get in there neither VAR it's also going to be interesting to see where Arthur Leclerc fits in because I can't see him not coming back Yes, although he is rumoured to possibly be going to LMGT3 with Ferrari, so we'll see what happens there. Mm. But he might be able to juggle uh, WEC calendar alongside F2. We'll see how that one pans out. Um, I'd like to see perhaps a W Series name return. Maybe a Chadwick would be interesting, but I think she's committed to another campaign at Indy Life. Keep keep her in Indy, I think. Who, who from W Series then would you go for? Because again, we're thinking of as much as we'd like to see a driver there, we want to make sure that they'd possibly have a chance of getting into F1. You know, this sort of thing. It's kind of, I want to say Tatiana Calderon as a non W Series person, just because she's got history there. It would be nice to see if you gave her a half decent car what she could do. Um, mm. In the same way that I, for arguments I will make later, very convincingly. Sophia Fleur should get the second seat at PHM. But again, for W Series-wise, it's interesting. Because everyone from there has kind of gone off to do their own thing in a way. And Sarah Moore is perhaps the only obvious contender, I suppose. Yeah, Marta Garcia is now obviously going to be Frecker with Kramer. Um, Fabian's off doing endurance racing. Vicky's doing endurance racing. Iris Rukova still can't do anything because of Russia, and which is a shame because she would have been very excited to see in Formula 2 from a performance standpoint. Um, Alice Powell's mm-hmm. coaching Abby Pulling. Abby Pulling's not going to be in Formula 2 because she's going to be in F1 Academy. And Formula So, yeah. So uh, which we'll get to in Just Hawkins. Busy coaching at Aston Martin. The only real option is like Norea Marti or Belen Garcia. But that's then ridiculous. Nothing at well, Belen because she's in George Race, but Neri would be ridiculous just for the sake of here's a driver who is very good, don't get me wrong. I'm not saying she doesn't necessarily deserve a shot. However, 
she'd be jumping above the top three in her category in that year and going over Formula 3 straight into Formula 2, which would just be mental. Yeah. Yeah, it's an interesting one that sort of looking at the 2022 season. Was 2021 offer us any better options? Not really. Fabian Ball and Sarah Moore. Yeah, it's slim pickings really from that that bunch of drivers. Oh, it's... It's hard to say who I'd like to see in F2 then in that regard. Perhaps might have to start sort of fishing around from the F3 pool. Like you said, uh, maybe now is the time to um, move up uh, 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 someone from F3 just sort of just to see what they can do, see what that performance margin is if you're not the F3 champion. Talking of F3 though, because I don't think I'm going to solve that particular conundrum today, we do have some driver news from there as well. And Campos have revealed their 2024 Formula 3 lineup. So they've got Mary Boyer moving over there, Sebastian Montoya is switching to them from high tech, and Oliver Goeth is staying with them for a second season. Kramer, meanwhile, are keeping Beganovic, and they've also signed Gabrielle Mini and Arvin Lindblad. So that's going to be interesting. I think Lindblad has some connection with Red Bull, or at least he did in the past. I'm not sure if they're still going because they seem to be chopping people left, right, and centre at the moment. Trident have signed Fawn Rowley. Browning, the recent Macau Grand Prix winner, stays at high tech along with new B Martinius, Stenshorn, which is easy for me to say. And Lawrence Van Hoppen joins ART Grand Prix and BAR sign Noel Leon, who is the reigning Euro Formula Open champion. I'm which sorry. obviously does I'm... leave quite a few seats open, but I feel like you've got something you wanted to say there. Yeah, I've got something to say here, mostly about Noel Leon. Why the hell is his name, like, um, Palindrome? Who names their kid a Palindrome? Like, why, why is his name the same thing? I'm, as I'm, I'm guessing he's French. Noel Leon is a very French name, certainly, but like, it just because seems... Because then that would answer your question, but also, that's got to be... He's not, he's Mexican. Oh, he has it certainly. Well, now I'm very surprised. Noel Jesus Leon Vasquez is a Mexican racing driver. So that implies that at some point Noel Leon is his picked name or like his chosen name. In, in which, which case, case someone's more, got to be trolling someone. <laughs> yeah, in which case, more kudos to him for picking the palindrome name. But uh, yeah, lots of seats open in F3 at the moment. But obviously a few drivers... Where I'd happily put a lot of F1 Academy drivers instead and just get rid of Frecker. <laughs> just like, go here instead. Come on, guys. Yeah, but Frecker... you can't do it all by yourself. Frecker I know it's still good, but at the same time, it's just annoying that we have to go left field rather than up. Yeah, it's a bit left field. I think it's also relatively mainstream. It's getting more and more mainstream. It's still sort of, it doesn't compete on it's the Just from an optics end, point of view, it's like yeah. F1 Academy to F3 to F2 to F1, not F1 Academy to, oh, that's Reckon not on your list. F, yeah, it, it, it sort of doesn't fit with the F thing and it's just a bit weird. Um, yeah, I think it makes sense overall. I think as that process sort of gets better and smoother, we're going to see it happen a bit more fluidly. Um, yeah, the, it, it's going to come over time, but there's a lot of seats still open. I think Trident obviously did pretty well this year in F3, where so they sort of stand quite highly on the list. They've still got two seats open. I'm expecting a bit more from the likes of ART and Ronan Carlin in F3 next year. So maybe they'll fish out some decent drivers from somewhere. But And I hope that we retain a few of them as well, because I think that was the... The problem I had with Formula 3 this year was that a lot of we spent a lot of the time trying to just figure out and remember who everyone was. 
because there was just such numbers of new people because so many of them graduated in PF2 uh, from from last year's crop. And by the time we figured out who people were, we were still trying to figure out who Borsletto was. I was like, how the hell is he leaving the championship? Oh, it's done. Oh, um, right. Yeah. Okay. There was a lot of sort of new faces appearing into it. And equally, um, some new faces appearing throughout the season. Like you look at the second seat of Roden Carlin, where you sort of started out with Hunter Yaney, then you had Max Esterston. And then at the end of the season, you sort of banged in a Francesco Simonazzi just to see what happens like they were chopping and changing mm-hmm. drivers all over the gaff again the same with Piotr Wisnicki which we then stuck in Mackenzie Cresswell and then Michael Shin for the final few rounds at Charousse and you're like uh, we just have a bit of consistency I'm still trying to figure out who the hell Paul Aaron is and why the hell all of a sudden he's yeah, why is everyone so excited about him yeah <laughs> yeah and the fact that he's not in F2 F, well, he's not signed in F3 next year is he Paul Aaron no because he's in F2 Ah, that's why, yeah. Like, all of a sudden, he sort of appeared, did well, and has then immediately graduated. So, yeah, it's it's interesting. It's trying to keep a track of everything, but yeah, we'll see how it pans out. Thorn Academy is a bit easier to keep track of, and uh, in news that shocked absolutely no one, Abby Pudding signed back up with Carlin for 2024 in both F1 Academy and British F4, still with Alpine backing. And I'm not saying she shouldn't have, because I can see why, but I think it was just my optimism getting ahead of reality slightly in terms of it was frustrating that we saw her there in the first place because we thought she could get into F3 if anyone was going to from the W Series crop with how impressive she'd been there. So to see her back for a second season was a little bit annoying because also then the Alpine team can't back a different driver, which would have made sense for Lola Lovenfoss, for example, because you've got a French driver with a French team in F1 backing her. but ruin all of my ideas why don't you um but it's going to be nice to see and hopefully she can have a better year of it in 2024 because i think weirdly she underperformed this year despite having some touches of of goodness she didn't win a race whereas others below her in the championship did and that was curious and we'll get to that later but uh before we move off abby pulling i want to question why she's also signing for british f4 because is F1 Academy not enough that you've also got to go and do another series at the same time just the to prove your metal? The only thing I can think of there is, it's not necessarily proving metal, but it's just more seat time. And if you've got the money, go and do it. And it's good practice. It's good. It's it's a way to, to hone your racecraft and potentially gives you an advantage over everyone else in the season. Because I think F1 Academy next year with the F1 teams coming in and backing a lot of drivers, they're going to go for, they're going to throw a lot of, a lot of spaghetti at the wall to see what sticks in ways that they may not do as much in later years, just to show that they're making a big song and dance about it. So Abby might need to be more on her toes than she would have been this year or if the F1 teams weren't going to be a part of it. So she doesn't want to necessarily get caught out. So maybe that's why she's in British F4. And even if she doesn't do brilliantly there, it may be just about make your mistakes, try things there, because ultimately it doesn't matter as much. You want to make the big moves and get the big results on the global stage with F1 Academy. Okay, I wanted to sort of open that one up by sort of playing a bit of devil's advocate with that one and just sort of seeing what the thought was and just sort of putting out why she might be looking at this alternate series as well. Um, The other F1 Academy news, of course, Bianca Bustamante will be uh, representing McLaren and driving for ART, while Tina Houseman will be representing Aston Martin, driving for Prima, and Leah Block is signed on with Williams and also racing for ART. 
T. So how does that look for their entire championship? There is a lot of seats still open, 16 seats, and we've only filled a quarter of them. So uh, plenty still to come. And arguably three of the top three not coming back. Very much seems to be the case, yes. I and mean, obviously, uh, scrolls down to results. Uh, Garcia, obviously off with Freca. Lena Bula, what's she up to this year? Or 2024, well, rather? The, the only thing I'm thinking there is the top three have an invitation to join Freca. So whilst Garcia is obviously going there, second and third have the option too because of the, the arrangement they have with Freca. So I would like that to be taken up. And by extension... I don't think Bula could come back anyway because she'd age out. And same for Carrie Schreiner. She's in that bubble where she would age out partway through the season. So whether or not she comes back is going to be interesting to see because do they sign her up and just let her get away with it or do they kick her out halfway through the season? Mm, we'll have to wait and see um, where that one pans out and what they opt to do with their 2024 seasons. I think it'd be great to see... Um, Hamda stick around for another season while that or, or perhaps make that move to Freca and again get a chance to sort of show her her power against Marta Garcia and sort of produce something there and I uh, think the last key point to make with it is though as well is that all the drivers are only able to do two years in F1 Academy and while they don't have to be taken consecutively maybe that's why we don't see a few of the drivers from this year back next year maybe they're going to try and be strategic about it and think, right, let's go and not necessarily practice somewhere else, but maybe do what Abby Pulling's doing in some ways and go, right, let's hone the hone the race craft and then make sure that I can give F1 Academy my all because that is where the massive opportunities lie. And potentially then if you're doing it for 25, you're looking for something for 26, it's like we were saying just now, maybe you don't go to Freckle and maybe you will be able to get up to F3 and it's worth it in the long run. And also, this may go out the window completely, and all of them come back in very different seats, and it's all over the window. But there may be a strategic element there that's worth thinking about. Yeah, I think definitely sort of combining that F4 in there because the F4 is more likely to be a step up into F3 than potentially sort of just gambling on F1 Academy being that step up to F3 where it has that sort of more massive. Especially when it's such a tight championship as well. I mean, you look at this year, it'll get to in a bit where every driver scored points, a lot of the drivers on the podiums, a lot of different race winners, and you know, practice times, you look at qualifying times. There's such slim margins from first to last that if, you have, if you're just casually looking at results, you could easily dismiss a handful of drivers for no real reason, just because you see a number next to them and you think, oh, well, they've done badly. Then like, No, no, it's just really, really competitive. I mean, everyone as far down as 11th had a podium at some point. Obviously, Karen Schreiner came in 11th, but obviously had a win in the second race at Zandvoort. So mm. it's it's able to produce some really interesting races and a good field spread in that regard. But yeah, even the points when you look at like the top three, um, 278, 222, 207, it's a big enough point spread, but you're going to bear in mind that they're running three races across a weekend. So they're really shoehorning in yeah. a lot of races to these. And Marta Garcia very much sort of almost deserved to try and run away with the season but Lena Buller and Hamda Alkabasi kept her kept her honest as the season went by so it's an interesting one to sort of look back on and I'm sure we'll get back to it in a in a moment in time but we'll jump into Formula 2 and the season review team eh? yes yes because it was uh, it was a good enough season by, by F2 standards it was 
yeah, it was it was a good enough season, I think, because I think we're, we're always treated by Formula Two, and we were treated in a slightly different way this year because it was make or break for the two championship contenders, really. In what can they do, and is this going to be a really defining moment of both of their careers? And that's obviously the focus on table chair and Frederick Bestie, but the former securing the title. And like you say, even if you get the title, you're not going into Formula One straight away anyway, and we don't know where Bestie's ending up. So it's kind of well, pretty confirmed how defining this is in, in terms of their careers, but it was entertaining to watch all year regardless. And we had 11 different race winners in 2023, which is mouth-watering when you look at Formula One. Uh, and Vesti, obviously, Doon, Iwasa, Martins, who is the highest placed rookie this year, very, very solid drive from him. We'll just put Monaco and in that instance aside. Oliver Behrman, Fittipaldi, Hauger, Rashaw, Oshang, finally. And curiously enough, in Zandvoort, Clement Abolek, with fun fact, he only had one other point scoring race aside from his race win. He really had a most unusual season. Yeah, very unusual season for Novelak, and I think possibly the reason why we won't be seeing him back in Formula 2 next season. Never. Five drivers didn't score any points, including the infamous Roy Nassani. Cordiel was just ahead of Nassani on eight points in his second full season, down from 26, though, in his first season. And somehow this has meant he's got a contract for 2024. I smell money. Well, that's not too surprising. 20 out of the 25 drivers that competed this year scored points, which makes PHM's total points tally of zero. Very, very impressive. Yeah. Impressive. Uh, In the wrong way. Yeah. You're not. Like it's not, not what you want to be known for. It. It's, it's incredible how you've managed to achieve that considering just everything. So. That's just a that's just a fun point, but I'm going to talk about that later. ART were up against the Premier in the constructors with the former winning with 343 points to 322, and it did go down to the wire. So that was always good fun as well. You kind of half forget about the constructors in Formula Two, I think, because you're just so focused on the drivers and what that could mean for them and their future. Um, but it's nice that we got a proper constructors battle there as well. Um, but all of that is kind of a very brief summation of the season, and to kind of round out the best of it or round out the rest of it, rather. Who was your driver of the season? My driver of the season, I think, has to be, again, much like I did in the F1 pick, I'm going for the champion. I'm going for Teo Porcher. But There's I think be a pattern forming here. There is a bit of a pattern forming here, but hear me out. He did not have a lot of wins this season. He yeah, won what? this season off of consistency and just putting in the grind, turning up each weekend and making the most of it. Luck was rarely on his side. Even when it came to things like FP1 sessions over in Formula One, luck was not shining down on this kid. So to be able to really pull this one out of the bag and just drive with the level-headedness that just keeps you on the boil each weekend, I think is really quite astounding. And doing that in the very frenetic world of F2 more so than anything, proves that there is a very sensible head in that guy. And if he does not make it to Formula One, there is a very good endurance racer in there. Someone that can just keep on it and keep on it and keep on it for such long periods of time. That is a driver and a half right there. Yeah, it very much created a, a curious advertisement for Formula Two where, oh, the, the champion this year, how many races did he win? 
won. Wait, what? Yes. And how, but but Seth was her second place in Gwinnett, right? No, he won six. I'm like, hmm, interesting. And it does it does kind of demonstrate why it was such an interesting season to watch in some respects, especially between two seasoned drivers for the category that they're in, because you've got not necessarily lack of strategy on one side, but you've got more going for it, and then you've got the more reserved side of things, and that ultimately did win, which is not always the guarantee, but it's interesting to see how close that could have been, and it wasn't that Bestie's strategy didn't work, it's just he had more bad luck in F2, it felt like, with his DNFs, with his non-point scoring, you're thinking Silverstone, Spa, and Monza as the, as the key moments that uh, that led to his downfall for the end of the season, but he did put in a very impressive drive on Abu Dhabi and made sure that Porcher would have to work for it a bit, at least, come the season finale. Yeah, Vesti kept Porcher honest the entire way, and I think his almost perceived dominance really put pound to that, and yeah, at the end of the day, if you're able to come away as the champion. That's that's not to be sniffed at, and it's not like he did a Verstappen and romped away with this one. No. He had to fight for a tooth and claw at every turn. So, yeah, for me, driver of the season, it might seem a little sort of cliche or pash, but yeah, I'm still I'm standing by it. I've gone for Jack Doohan, though, and that's just because whilst he might not have had the most stellar season, I, I may not have put it, even put him on this if he hadn't somehow clinched third in the driver's standings right at the very end from Iwasa, who we were pretty much thought had that in the bag and didn't think it was possible to lose. We didn't even, like, we looked at it and thought, yeah, it's possible, but it's not going to happen. And I think Dewan, he just had such a tumultuous first half. He was everyone's favourite for the championship coming into it before the season began. And then for him to just flounder, essentially, was just gut-wrenching. But then he somehow managed to turn it around after the summer break-ish area, that kind of, those races that you'd associate with it. And just absolutely clawed it back. And I think you deserve credit for that. And I think as well, it's, it brings up that argument that we're not going to have again this time, but oh, or a discussion rather of does a good driver deserve to get an F1 or do you have to be a great driver? And what can a good driver become great in F1 if you give them a chance? And Jack Dewan's flirting with all these different elements of that. But I think getting P3 there is going to be interesting to see if he comes back next year and if he doesn't, where he goes because it'd just be... It, you want him to be an F1, and you just think he just needs a little bit extra for, for now, and I think he's a bit underrated in that notion, which mm. is a perfect segue, really, into the next category for the review. The, the before, we, before we shuffle off too quickly, I think with Dewan, he's a very interesting driver, and the fact that he was able to sort of, again, do very much what Porsche did, which was have quite an underrated season on a scorecard, but one that in summation was actually quite brilliant, is really sort of testament to I think why you've picked him for his for driver of the season and definitely worth it I think equally it'd be great to see him make that F1 step eventually Alpine are really attached to him and he does a lot of work on their sort of junior side of things I think they've got a bit of a battle on their hands as whether they go for him or Victor Martins uh, which way that goes but I'd it would like... be equally amusing if he was if he's as attached to them as he is, and McLaren poked him as well, considering where he's from. Mm, yeah, we'll wait and wait and see what happens there. But like, he's doing in Piastri, McLaren twenty twenty six. There we go. <sighs> Two Australian drivers with a team of Kiwi origin is quite perfect. It's like the ultimate oceanic sort of outfit. Um, but 
equally he he could sort of be a generational John Surtees in the fact that John Surtees transitioned from racing motorcycles to mm-hmm. racing in Formula One and of course Jack Doohan's dad Formula MotoGP yep. champion we'd sort of have that, a bit of a generational split in it but it'd be, it'd be nice to see that happen again I think there's a lot of potential there which is why I think it's it's exciting to keep an eye on him it's a good pick and I, I, I 100% agree with you on that one as underrated as he is, though, we do have two other choices for our underrated driver of the season. And uh, we mentioned him briefly for some statistics that he has associated with him. And you're going to keep the spotlight on him for a moment longer before he fades into whatever background he's going to fade into. Yeah, like, I just like me a Clement Novelac, okay? He's he's fun, he's exciting, he's a little Go bit to different. have him by yourself, Paul. He's... Feed yourself for Christmas. A Clement Novelac is not just for Christmas. Um, he, uh, he, there's something about his character that's quite roguish and very much of the sort of 1970s Formula One driver, and I quite like that. He's not particularly good on track, or certainly his season this year hasn't proven otherwise. And even last year's season where he was against the champion in the best team didn't really shine didn't there either. Yeah. So it's it's tricky to speak highly of Clement Novelak, but his race in Zandvoort, as much as it's easy to say it was handed to him, he did have to do a lot of management and a lot of work to stay on the pace and get that win. And, and not crash. And not crash. Because it was tricky conditions. So it's worth giving him credit where it's due. And it is a small amount of credit in a very small window of Dunus. But there we go. It's for me. It's Clever Novelak. For me, it's Richard Vashaw and his win in Austria. Just because you wind the clock back to 2022, and he won the race there, and then got disqualified because of a fuel infringement, and it was painful for everyone. So for him to be able to come back a year later, win and keep it, everybody liked that. And I feel like he doesn't get as much attention as it should do because again, he's one of these drivers where. He's he's around a lot, but we don't necessarily know where he's going to end up in the future. So I think, again, like with your driver, credit where it's due because we don't know when we're necessarily going to be able to give it to you again. And that's not necessarily down to anything you've done in this instance. Yeah, it's Richard Vershaw is a very, very good driver, but just nothing seems to come of it at times. You see these fantastic drives, these brilliant quality laps. And it just comes. Kind of reminds me of Bottas in some ways. Yes, yeah, he's very Bottas. And if there was an F1 team looking for a Bottas right now, you couldn't do. And you didn't want Bottas. You didn't want Bottas. A younger version, or weren't able to get Bottas. I don't think you could do too far wrong with potentially looking at a Vashor. I don't even think he's done an FP1 session for anyone either. So it's, no. it's quite the long I don't shot. Think he's in that associated regard. with anyone. No, he's very much sort of a, a, a lone star in F2, which is quite odd, but strange, yeah. And very much sort of the Drugovich of uh, this era, but yeah, it's odd. Am I guessing that you've chosen this choice for round of the season because of the previous category we've been talking about? No, uh, more for the fact that it was quite sort of fundamental in the way the season panned out and the fact that it kept the championship fight at the top burning for that little bit longer it looked like it was going one way then the other with both drivers crashing out one then the other we had I can't remember who went first but then all of a sudden the camera pans around and there's Vesti with no rear wheels on his car it was 
as much as it was nice to see Clément Novelac winning a race, to watch a, a round of the championship go that haywire and to think how important and relevant that's going to be to how it pans out overall it's, it's quite fun. I, I chose back here for the same chaotic nature of it because whilst you've got some brilliant close field wheel racing that you'd expect from Formula 2 at the best of times, case in point being them and the Vesti in the same part of the grid where we saw Alonso and Sainz doing battle in the Grand Prix, you also had that humongously silly car pileup. I think that was this year, wasn't it? Um, going into turn one. And was that this year? Yeah. Was it? Maybe. Yeah. Checkmate. Quick okay. check so we can edit around this. I can still save it if it's not, but I feel like that was this year. I left my tab on F Academy in 2023. Uh, Formula 1, Formula 2. What are we talking about? Bar as uh, the race was interrupted by two safety car periods as Ralph Boschong and Roy Nassani were involved in separate incidents as racing resumed with three laps remaining. Six drivers failed to make the first corner, yes. either hitting the wall yes. or running wide and stopping. Yes, I remember this because there was like one. one guy stuck in a wall and a guy swung around. Well, so I was thinking, him. I feel like it happened the year before as well because that was with the Turkish video game excuse of a driver that I can't remember the name of, who then his dad started a fight in the paddock later on. And I thought that was yes. for the same reasons. Um, yes. But it just oh, looked like people in F2 thing? can't get around the first corner. Um, what was his name? What was his name? Chembolic Bassi. That's the one. Because he was in Super Formula this year. For a bit. But he, he was, was he? I'm pretty sure, yeah. Again, check notes. 2023 Super Formula. Was he? Was he? Was he? He was. Christ alive. I had to go somewhere. It wasn't back to F2. Very true. So he decided uh, to yes. race against Liam Lawson and I think Jean Lacey's grandson. No, son. Christ. Jean Lacey's son, um, Giuliano Lacey. Sly old dog. The kid's 24. When was, how old Jean Lacey? 59? Just about heads up. Anyway, back to back to what you were saying. Oh yeah, Baku, just for that turn one, corner one chaos that most drivers suddenly forgot how to take a corner that they've been doing all weekend long. And it just showed, again, you can get the really brilliant racing, you can get the really not at all racing because you've all crashed side of things. And it separates the men from the boys a bit in that instance. Um, so yeah, just kind of give you a bit of bit of everything, perfect blend. So Baku for the win, which was nice because we needed Baku to at least be good for the feeder series, and it has never yet disappointed. Yeah, it it's it was. I think it, yeah, I think we both picked races that were a bit chaotic and led to something interesting. I think I'm remembering with the Dutch Grand Prix weekend, we had no points handed out for the sprint because they didn't really cover any distance. Yes, and then obviously the feature we came Hang away. On a minute. Which which race did Novelek win? He won the feature race. Yeah. Okay. I was yeah. stopping for a second though that it would have been so typical of him to win a race and then not get any points for it. No, no, no. He started 13th and led the race having not made a pit stop. Um entered the pit stop, entered the pit lane just as the safety car went out and then came out having retained the lead. Um Vesti then lost both of his rear tyres. Earlier on in the race, I think Porsche had crashed, or 
I believe Porsche might have crashed. Yeah, Porsche didn't one. make it very far. Uh, yes, yeah, he crashed out shortly after his pit stop in the rain. Um, just checking my notes, so I go back through. And then, of course, there was sort of a variety of different sort of means of collisions and chaos. Um, Behrman was out, Martin got himself a penalty. Um, and in the end, yeah, it was Porsche, it was Novelak's win, but the result was. Um, Porsche retained a 12-point lead over Vesti, essentially kicking the can for the two at the top down the road for yet another weekend. Mm. So it just sort of amped up the pressure on Italy and Yas Marina. So it was a good good weekend in that regard with regards to the rest of the season. Not necessarily great for high-quality Formula 2 racing. What we did have was high-quality Formula 3 racing all season long, despite the fact that in the championship battle it was Portoletto v well, what a letter, really. Yeah, it was, it was so high quality. Run away with it. High quality Formula 3 racing from Gabriele Bortoletto, yes. Mm, two wins to his name and 164 points notched up compared to O'Sullivan's 119 P2. Uh, he only had three non point scoring results all year, only one DNF. So, again, like Borchere, like Verstappen, that consistency of just finishing a lot of the time really did help. We only yeah. had 10 different race winners here which is still eight more than we have oh sorry seven more than we had in Formula 1 um, Ortoletto O'Sullivan Aaron Colapinto Marty Mini Ghost Pollitt Barnard amusingly because I couldn't remember that one until that was there but all good credit to him and Edgar 10 out of the 35 drivers competing didn't score any points with three of those racing all season long Tommy uh, Smith, Oliver Gray, and Roberto Ferrier for VAR, Rodin, and PHM, respectively. It's uh, as much as we were saying we hope consistency next year in drivers returning. I'm not sure that uh, we'll lose much sleep if those three in particular don't make their way back. Although I know that I probably would not necessarily be much better, but at the same time, I haven't done this all my life. So that's what I'm going to say there. Um, Sophia Flirsch scored six points this year, although I'm still annoyed about that one race that we don't talk about. And that is relevant, though, because that means she scored all of the points that PHM notched up in Formula 3 in 2023 and is more than all three drivers that raced for PHM and F2 were able to score combined all year. Because as we pointed out earlier, they got the some square root of sod all in terms of points. So, just more mad respect for her there. Yeah, it didn't um, do too badly there. I think she was sort of highest scoring out of all the drivers for PHM. She outscored on her own the entirety of Rodin Carlin as well. So, um, yeah, pretty good going there. I don't think either of those two outfits were really on form this year and um, beyond. It also goes to show that the, the 30 car grid you don't always see everything going on and you can make up a lot of places there and not be rewarded for it, which we know she got near the points on a number of occasions, but was just ran out of laps or for whatever reason. And, or it was a sprint race where you would normally get points, but then typically don't because you're just still slightly away from it. So it was a shame. And I think it's a step in the right direction and is proof that she does deserve very least to stay there, if not make it to Formula 2, because as I've said many a time, when you've got that kind of elite performance from your F2 team, you've really got nothing to lose from putting her in the F2 team with PHM, because worst case scenario, she doesn't score any points, and you as a team can say, well, she did very well for us in Formula 3, we thought we'd take a chance, 
PR and the marketing looks brilliant because you've got a woman there at a time where it looks great for that side of things, if nothing else. And if she does score your points, well, damn, she scored your points. If she scores one point, she's already outperformed you for the entire of the previous season with redrivers yeah. that you had. So I really don't, if she's not there in that team, and this isn't saying that she can't go for another team, so I'll happily take another team snapping her up. But if, if they don't put her in there for next year and find a way to, to make it work, God damn, people. God damn. Yeah, I think she she could be a missed opportunity if she is glossed over on the driver market in between seasons here. She is, she's proven she's got the talent and the ability to do it and pull it out of the bag. And like you said, on a 30-car grid, you can make 20 overtakes in a race and essentially not score a point. So mm-hmm. you can make a huge amount of ground up and still fail and to I think it earn was any points. Spa, wasn't it? It was the unspoken race where she pretty much did just that. Red Bull ring. Red Bull, oh, Red Bull Ring. Okay, Spa was where it happened. But yeah, Red Bull Ring, she did, I'm pretty sure, a similar job there of just absolutely surviving in treacherous conditions and making her way just up and up and up. And you're like, oh, go on, oh, go on, go on. And she did, and it's it stands by in my head for the entire time. But we're not going to talk about that. Uh, Prima v. Trident were the two main people in the Constructors' Championship, with Prima winning with 327 points to Trident's 308 Again, relatively close, considering the, the topsy-turvy nature of Formula 3. And, uh, I love how Trident had a better season in Formula 3 than they did in Formula 2. Yeah, it's the fun thing with feeder series. It's Unless you're Prima, everything could be completely flipped from one category to the next from year yeah. to year. I mean, I, ARTGP came 8th in F3. They did pretty all right in F3. Two, of course. Um, and Rodin Carlin didn't do too badly in F2, but were bottom of the pile in F3. So, yeah, it's a weird little mix there. That does lead me into driver of the season. And you can't copy mine. And I've gone for the obvious one, <sighs> which is Bortoletto, because he was, as I said at the start of this, you kind of didn't even realize he was there. And he's suddenly out in front by country mile. And you're frantically Googling his name to figure out who the hell he is and how he's managed to do this. Uh, and just very impressive. He's now part of the McLaren Drive program. He's in Formula Two for next year, and he's a happy, happy chappy. Yeah, I can't argue with that one, and I'm annoyed you picked it because yeah, he had an absolutely stellar season, and uh, yeah, came out of nowhere, dominated, and sort of said little more to it. And credit to him for it. Um, I sort of would go for Zach O'Sullivan, who had a decent season, 119 points, but I'm going to go Paul Aron, actually, who did a bit of a Bortoletto, came from not F, like sort of outside of F3. Zach O'Sullivan was in his second season. And uh, yeah, Paul Aron came in first season, P3 overall, really good performance, one win to his name, a couple of podiums scattered in there as well. Decent points record across the year, 112 points by the seasons and seven points off of a chap who'd already done it the year prior. So, yeah, for me, Paul Aron, no questions asked. Fair enough. I'm going to keep it with you, though, and say, or ask you, rather, what was your underrated moment or driver of the season? Ooh, underrated driver of the season. So I feel like um, there could be a lot of those for the reasons we were saying about just now in terms of you can overtake 20 cars and still be absolutely nowhere somehow. So there's there's a lot of potential here. Yeah, I think there's there's a couple of moments where things went a bit awry for people. For me, um, checks, notes. Yeah, I'm going to go for it actually. Sprint race at Silverstone. Watched it in person. 
Um, obviously, Oli Gerther won it. Pretty nice. Um, but for me, it was Sebastian Montoya who had a really, really heavy going sprint race um, in Silverstone was fighting his way up the grid. It was changing conditions, made a pit stop, made the change for tyres and made it work, I think, if I'm remembering his strategy correctly. It was brilliant and he was really racing. He had a fairly tidy little season, a bit of a mixture of points and retirements here and there. If he get it a bit more consistent going into 2024, he could be a good little fighter. And um, yeah, he, he for me is my sort of underrated hero of the season. That's fair. That's fair. I was going to say it's it's nice when you can pinpoint a particular moment from the season like that with a specific driver to come with it. It's not necessarily a, a moment that involves multiple drivers all doing something together. It's not like Hungary in 2022, for example, where you've got a couple of people racing up through the grid. Um, but when you've got that driver in that moment, in that one flashy moment, which is not an obvious one, it's not a race win necessarily, then that's always fun as well. Um, I'm going to once again eating the Sophia Flush drum and for all the reasons that I've already said it's just I'm just gonna keep hammering the point home until PHM listen to me and I think even if you don't put it up on the podcast Instagram page as a, as a clip just trying to attract some attention from PHM and Flush I want you to send that to me because I'm going to try and grab their attention and see if I can influence <laughs> their Formula 2 choices for next year in some way shape or form whilst, whilst that seat is still open okay hear me out don't keep banging on the drum to PHM. Bang on the drum to a different and better team for Flourish. How's that for a concept? Um, I, like I said before, I will happily have any other team taker as well. I just want to get the attention and keep it there. I think she's she's worthy of a better team. There is a really good driver in there. And as much as I sort of questioned whether or not it made sense to keep sort of shining the spotlight on one driver, I think across the season, when you start to pick it apart, she's proven worth it. And I also keep forgetting, which I think is something other people do forget as well, is that, yes, she seems to have been around for a long time in some respect. And everyone else these days is so focused on finding next Max Verstappen that they're all finding younger and younger and younger people. She's only 23. She's only just turned 23. So she's still very fresh in the grand scheme of things as a racing driver in her career. And she's, or like she, when you think about the crash that she had in Macau, the recovery she had to do from that, the endurance racing she's done, the Formula 3 season she did before, to then go off and do a few other bits, to then come back. And she's done all of that. And she's only 23. Those make you and I feel like we may have not done quite as much with our time in some respect. Yeah, please stop pointing out that I'm old and haven't achieved any racing success. <laughs> In terms of racing success, though, what was your round of the season? That's a good question. Um, because do feel free to take one of mine, because I'm not now convinced I'm going to choose either of them, if that helps. Ooh. So we're going to go for Australia or Silverstone? I didn't watch Australia. It was a little too early in the morning for my palate. I did the opposite of that, and I got naps in between little bits and pieces on everything over that entire weekend and just went for it. Uh, Silverstone, however, I did watch it and I did enjoy it. I do recall watching the feature race for it as well on the Sunday and it being quite good. So I might steal your Silverstone argument there, actually. It was... It yeah. is, it's Silverstone, it never disappoints, does it? It's it's great when it comes to F2 and F3. It's still pretty decent when it comes to F1, but F2 and F3 really jump out to me. 
Um, I enjoyed watching F3 at Monza last year, so 2022. It was fantastic watching it there. Same with F2. But yeah, for me this year, Silverstone is the one that sticks in my mind. So I'm glad you brought it up and sort of put it on the page for me. It's it's the one I'm going to go for. Which way are you going to go then? If you're not going Australia and you're not going Silverstone? Yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm still tempted for Australia, but it was the it would have been Austria just because that was so entertaining. It's 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 the same kind of logic that I've got for wishing I could rate uh, Austin higher in Formula One. It was the after race impacts that ruined that as an overall Grand Prix in the same way that it happened in Austria. So I think to keep it consistent throughout my Formula 3 stuff before we move on to F1 Academy, I'll go for Spa because whilst I wasn't able to watch all of it live because I wasn't Paul Ricard at the time watching real life racing and trying to keep a eye on how at one point do I dash out the door to rush up to the roof so I can watch this actual racing happening here, which is why I'm actually here. It was annoying that all the races then Sophia Flush had to do really well there. So I'm like, could you not have just done this at Monza or literally any other place where I'm not having to run around all the time? Um, but Spa for that, because it was entertaining, not just for her, but for the other stuff going on there as a sprint race and a future race weekend. And it's Spa, it's nice that Spa delivered because we've had a bit of a dullish time Formula One wise lately with it. So it's nice that Feeder Series again proved it's. It's not necessarily the track, it's the racing and the categories that make it. It's, it's the racing and often the cars. I think we certainly see that with the likes of sort of Monaco and stuff, the fact that it can provide good racing with the feeder series, but struggles with F1. And I think we had a pretty mm. decent time of it in F2 this year. But uh, yeah. Anyway, that sort of rounds out Formula 3. You're likely going to be leading this third element a little more because you've certainly seen more of it than I have. And it's F1 Academy. I have indeed, and uh, it was a three-way battle for the title, as we alluded to earlier, between Neri Marti, Inabula, and Hamda Al-Kubasi, with Mata securing the win in the end, and uh, rightly so. I mean, not that the other two were not deserving, but Marta Garcia, you kind of, you had to you had to go for it with her, really. And we had nine different race winners in, in 2023. Obviously, Marta Garcia, Inabula, and Hamda Al-Kubasi, but also... Neri Amati, Anna Rakabasi, Bianca Bustamante, Jessica Edgar, brilliant win at the end of the at the end of the year, that Annie de Hoist and Carrie Schreiner, which like we were also saying, you kind of could forget about that one pretty easily because it was so early in the season. Obviously, we weren't able to watch it properly. And considering where she finished in the championship, you kind of like you, you want to race. I mean, nice, but when, how, what? Um and it's the only championship out of I think all of them, because I don't think Logan Sargent scored points this year, or did he? Did he manage to Logan get Sargent scored one point this year. Damn. In okay, Kota after, oh, yeah, after, after all of that. Yeah. Yes. Um, so I was going to say, this was the only championship where all of the drivers scored points, but Logan, damn. Um, but it's all right. It's the only feeder series where all of the drivers competing and it scored points. Um, and it was Prima being MP Motorsport for the title, with Prima winning, with a very narrow margin in the end, 419 points to 411 so that was nice uh that to go down to the wire as well and uh especially when you could see bianca's race in particular at austin not unfolding the way she might have wanted that to and it being a little bit more under balance than the other two categories had with their constructed championships mm. i think uh, bianca's race certainly in kota was 
it it didn't help her fight against uh, Amna Alkabase either because it kept her it sort of in the end no. gave Amna that sort of that domination or well, not domination that win over her it was a six over seventh in the end 117 points plays 116 but yeah it was a, it was a season of tit for tat in many of the battles between the drivers but I think at the end of the day it sort of one driver shone through but even when you look at the constructors obviously we said there's a fight between Prima and MP but equally Ronan Khan and ART Grand Prix had a good little battle going between them only eight points separating them so eight points between the top two eight points between three and four it's it's a fun little championship to keep an eye on. Definitely. And does make the choice for driver of the season that bit trickier because everyone had a moment. Yes. I think you've obviously you've picked Bianca Bustamante. I think her moment was, of course, that win at Monza and a very good It wasn't win. even necessarily for the win at Monza for me that did it. It was just the fact that well, she's obviously a, a good driver and ooh, hopefully keep proving that to be the case next year. I think it's just been the way she's been able to marry everything together on and off track. It's just been so darn impressive where I think these days, rightly or wrongly, if you can nail stuff off track really, really well, you can buy yourself more time than you would potentially otherwise. So whilst talent is obviously important and she does have this, and it's not saying that she's undeserving of a seat on the grid or a partnership with McLaren because she definitely deserves that it's because of that combination between the two whereas she's a good driver and in order to be great she needs to be able to stay around for maybe longer than other drivers would need to because they've just got that more rawness to them with on the talent side of things and to be able to play the game so masterfully off track where everyone else in F1 Academy is looking at going how has she managed to do that? So she's played a blinder there. She's really gamed the system in a, in a very smart way there. And the influence that she's had around the world, I mean, you look as well at what she was able to do for the Macau Grand Prix and the, the uh, sponsorship there. She brought a makeup company into motorsport for the first time, which is just mental and opens up so many potential avenues for women in motorsport there that... You just gotta you gotta take your hat off and go very well played there and also you're not too bad in the car either, old girl. Yeah, she's had a fairly decent racing season. Uh oh Christ, I forgot she won in Spain as well. So two wins and a couple of podiums to boot. So not a bad racing season, but like you said, for for Bianca Bustamante, I think the impressive thing for her is like you said it's what she's achieved off track and the the differences she's made the publicity she's brought to it as a sport the fact that she has been this but she's in very... Google's video for the year yes yeah I saw this she's such a brilliant open sort of shining example of what women in motorsport can be and the fact that you can combine that sort of level of femininity like you said bringing in a makeup product as a sponsor for your car and you can combine those two things and prove that motorsport can be for the girls and it can be for the most stereotypical of girls or it can be for the most petrol headed yeah, of girls you can like makeup you can want to put it on underneath the helmet and everything and she can still go out and absolutely boss it why not yeah she is she is been more than a good driver she has been a fantastic role model i think that is more 
so or just as important as the driving and what she's achieved in the season this year so yeah I think she's she's certainly a good pick from you and in sort of whole reflection I'm annoyed you've chosen her now because you is sort this of because you're going to revert to type and go back for the champion well, partly yes but also because now it just sounds quite hollow because you've picked someone that's sort of quite wholesome and has a sort of greater picture beyond the sport which is something I really like and I think the fact that she stands for more than just racing is is very much just sort of akin to the way we look at Lewis Hamilton is a fantastic racing driver yeah. but someone who stands for more than just the sport and that's why I genuinely do like Lewis Hamilton and what he's able to achieve beyond F1 and we're seeing the start of that with Bianca Bustamante and it's annoying because I can't pick anything else now without seeming like a bit of a cold and heartless bastard. Um, damn you. But you're going to have to. I'm going to have to. And for me, it's got to be Marta Garcia. I mean, you look at the second half of her season, everything from, say, the second round of Zanvor onwards, just phenomenal. I mean, the first half of it wasn't bad either, but the fact that you then go on, you have that triplet of wins, double at the at Le Castellet and then winning the first round at Cota and then coming back with a P3 in the third round. It was a bit of a jumbled set of races at Cota for W Series all over the shop with uh, grids and podiums, which we like to see a good bit of racing and it provides decent chance for a lot of other drivers on the field but for Martin Garcia to sort of get that win retirement and then P3 really just sort of puts that nail into the coffin as to just how sort of encapsulating she's been this season like over 50 points clear of the next driver in the field it's good going you can't deny it no not at all not at all She's she's drove in a different class this year, and I think that is that is worth mentioning. And it'll be really interesting to see what she's able to do in Frecker next year. I don't know. I think if you read the runs, you're most underrated. Um, but I'm going to go for someone who, yes, for reasons that are going to be clear in a second. But I am quite biased here, but that doesn't mean my argument isn't solid. In Maite Caceres, who, again, like I was saying when we were talking about. Uh, the new section for F1 Academy towards the start of the podcast. It is such a tight field from first to last that you could be almost forgiven for missing out on a whole bunch of drivers just by seeing where they finish rather than delving into the details a bit more and really looking at it because of how close the margins are and qualifying in the race. And also when you look at the cars, because it is the first season of a championship where they're still figuring a lot of things out and in the same way that the sprint races work well at some tracks, but not so much at others, you've got to see what tracks work for which categories. And it's the same kind of argument I have with Imola, is that it works really well for endurance racing. I don't think it works as well for Formula 1 these days. So you've got all these kind of things into it. Whereas, so basically, when you're looking at a driver anywhere in F1 Academy, you can't just look at the result and go, yep, you're good, you must be bad because you're here. And it can be very difficult to have progress be seen in a way that isn't just points, podium, or a win. And that's why I've frozen Maita here, because when you look at from where she started to where she finished up, it can be quite easy to dismiss it, but you'd be a bit silly for doing so, because she was learning throughout this, really pushing an envelope. In the second half of the season, she really came alive. And it was just really great to see. And it was quite fun to watch that in person in Paul Ricard because you could see 
how slim the margins were and you couldn't even fit like a, a sheet of paper in between the cars if you put the times out in that sort of a way there. And you've just got to love how close the racing is, how close the talent pool is there and all of that kind of stuff there. So I think that it's very easy to overlook a handful of the drivers there, but I'm going to go uh, and not just because I'm very biased for, for obvious reasons. Yeah, for, for quite obvious reasons. Um, for me, underrated driver, it's going to be odd, but mm-hmm. I'm going to go for Jess Edgar, actually. Not that odd. It's not that odd, actually. I was about to say Hamdar Akabasi, but then I figured actually Jess Edgar <laughs> really was quite underrated this season. Really, really competitive. Win to a name, couple of podiums, a really good consistency. It's, yeah, like, really, really consistent, actually. Only two points off of Bianca Bustamante, who we're regarding as having had a really good season. So mm. to sort of fall behind, just behind that by two points, really suggests that you're quite quite hot on it and I can't remember if she's been underrated in the same way that like the show was it's kind of like you're there but no one seems to have yeah we just seem to sort of forget about you constantly um interestingly cousin of Johnny Edgar didn't know that um so yes you did no I didn't I literally just found that out by opening up her Wikipedia page actually and no because I've heard you say this multiple times on the podcast before okay well I'm going to the doctors and getting myself checked for dementia but um It'd be interesting to see what she gets up to next year because she hasn't been confirmed yet for um, F1 Academy in 2024. Mm. But it'd be nice to see a team pick her up and give her a bit of backing. Uh, I don't know which one would go for her as such. It'd be quite interesting. I tried predicting all of this stuff and it's already gone out the window and we've only had three drivers get an ad, so I'm not even going to touch that one. (laughs) Oh, so obviously we've already got one. I mean, teams can pick more than one. So it'd be nice, British driver, nice to see Williams hop Yeah, but I don't think one. they are going to. No. Red Bull haven't got anyone. Not yet. Female in their junior driver academies. So Jess Edgar, it makes sense. Milton Keynes, it's in the UK. I'm going to go that down that route. <laughs> I would like to see... Solid logic. I, according to what you've said already, it, it's sound Not logic, true. given how it's panned out. Um, but she's had a great season. I think it'd be great to see her come back with a bit more backing, a bit more support, and really give her that push to achieve the next step of performance and see where that gets to. So I think there's there's another level of Jess Edgar to be unlocked here. The same as we've sort of said there is for Bianca Bustamante. I think Edgar has that similar approach needed of just sort of someone to go, right, here's what we're going to do and you're going to be fantastic. And I, th- I think we could see that in 2024. I hope. I hope we do. I hope we do as well, because like, we, like I was saying, there is just such a plethora of talent that we've seen this year that even if a few of them don't come back, it'd be a shame for a lot of them not to come back because you just like to see, with a few people like her and like Bianca, like, you, like we were saying, where when you're somehow that close in the standings at the end, you want to see what that looks like now that you've got the momentum behind you of a full season to see how that would transfer into a second full season and see what you could do with that, especially with the right kind of backing behind you from an F1 team. Yeah, I mean, she had a pretty decent span of it, especially look at the second half of her calendar. Mm. Like Monza points in all three races, Cota uh, points in all three races off the back of scoring points in two thirds of the races at Le, uh, Le Castellet as well. Like it's really good consistency and opening up the year with that third place as well. Garcia, Bustamante, Edgar on the podium at the Red Bull ring. That's really putting your name up there that like saying, look, I can be racing up here with the foremost of the grid. And sort of going, yeah, and then pretty much sticking with that for the rest of the season is 
it's what we like to see so there we go I keep joking that I'm not a betting man but if I could find somewhere on Skybet that allows me to put money on Jess Edgar for the F1 Academy season in 24 I might put a quid on there, there, there must be a make your own bet feature somewhere or is that just too dangerous for gambling people to have these days and that's probably too dangerous a thing I think you'd have to go to like a bookmakers and ask for that to be specially made up um, but yeah we'll see to what happens fair, visu- visually and stylistically you're old enough to do that so I think you could I think you could get yeah, away with that I can get away with that I think what the hell's James May doing betting on F1 Academy but uh. geez he's really gone downhill since the Grand Tour <laughs> anyway anyway round of the season and uh, yeah it was only really one choice for me that's mainly because I actually got to watch a full race weekend live and not just on the TV well I actually got to do it twice because we got to see Kota live on the TV didn't we um, yeah. but I didn't want to have to wait until then so I went to France which is weird because it's easier it was literally easier to as we've said with Valencia it was easier to just fly to whichever country it was in and watch it in person by whichever method you could get in Valencia it's it's uh, buying a ticket for whatever festival was on it, no, it was um, Euro NASCAR Euro NASCAR 20 euros go. got you in yeah so if, if it's if it's buying a ticket for Euro NASCAR of all things or if it's for working for one of the drivers you it's easier to do that than it was to watch it on TV in your own home. Um, luckily, correct for next year, but it was just very nice to, to be able to do that. And the rating was sublime. The the noise of the engines first thing on Saturday morning. It's it's like when you go to it's like when you actually get the chance to go to any kind of motorsport events. It's obviously going to be your favourite one rather than the ones you see on the TV because you were there. Yeah, I think for me, by proxy, my sort of only real argument is going to have to be Kota because it was the only one that I actually saw anything happen on. Yeah. Um, but it was getting to watch it and getting to see that happen was great and it proved there was good racing. But equally, there's a bit of me that now on reflection is annoyed that it's sort of joining up with F1 weekends because the idea that you could sort of get a day return flight to Spain, pay 20 euros to watch the racing, and that it was actually strangely accessible. Yeah. Um, so even if you were sort of living, if you lived in Spain or France or Netherlands or Italy, so you even could go and... They had a stand open that overlooked the final turn and the start finish straight, and there were people in there. So yeah. there is a way to, to get in. So you could very reasonably go along and watch this racing and enjoy it in person. So it's not like it wasn't accessible and it wasn't like these role models weren't on display. It was, hmm. yeah, 20 euros to go and see it, but... I mean, there was other racing on most of those days. Like on some of the Spanish weekends, it was part of a sort of major racing weekend. They were often as a sort of warm-up act to other races. So there was it. There was accessibility to it, and it's almost annoying. Monster, that I now... think, had the the World Endurance Championship or the European Le Mans Series the same weekend. So if you got into the one, you probably stick around for the lot of it. Yeah, yeah. You don't sort of turf you out. They say, "Were well, you here to just watch F1 Academy?" Yeah, out you go, sunshine. Mm. You can't watch Elms, um, but it's. Yeah, the fact that it's now been made, if anything, slightly less accessible in person. Like, it's now going to be extortionate to go along to a race weekend and watch F1 Academy in person. So it's almost lost that that humble nature that a feeder series needs. Like, it, it costs hundreds of pounds to go along and watch on a Saturday at Silverstone. Like all of a sudden there's no longer sort of a, a 40 pound proposal to go and watch some racing and that close-upness to important role models for women within racing and sports and science has been taken away so almost a negative in that regard 
We can't leave it like that, though. We've got to have some kind of positive note to end this podcast on. We'll find a positive note. We'll find a positive note. Quick, 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 quick. We'll get into the conclusion. Um, we're over a thousand subscribers on YouTube. That's a positive note. That is a positive note. We'll take that. And hopefully stuff starts happening. And it's apparently over a thousand stuff starts happening. So No, it doesn't. Well, we need to get a lot more people watching and listening to videos. So remember to like, comment, subscribe. And well, a thousand subscribers doesn't hurt. And it's, it's meant to be the start of stuff happening. Yeah. So it's the so beginning we'll of good stuff. It. There we go. We, we, we sold something. But yeah. there we go. That's all we've got time for from this week's episode. Join us again soon when we should have some more excellent F1 and feeder series content for you. So make sure you've liked, subscribed, and got your notifications turned on so you don't miss a darn thing. Jesse, where can people find you in the meantime, though? In the meantime, you can find me on Instagram, TikTok, and YouTube. I'm on all of those. Oh, and Twitter. Um, I've got a TikTok that'll be coming out tomorrow, hopefully. Um, I've got YouTube videos which are starting to reappear, and I'm on Instagram all the time. Um, and if you want me in written format, you can find me in Classic Car Weekly. The day we're recording this, our Christmas bumper issue has just gone on sale, so you can read about all the good things Classic Car from 2023 and get excited for 2024. Plus, there's like five bonus crosswords in there if you like crosswords about classic cars. As for myself, you can find me over on Is It Fast on the Curves on the Pubchat, the Nitro RX podcast, Paddock Sorority, and of course, Instagram, where there's still quite a bit of stuff to come, even though we're midway through December and I've determined to get a few more bits out before the end of the year just to round things off in a busy and productive way that way. Anyway, thank you very much for listening and we will be back soon.